Welcome to Nothing Is Nobody South Texas Golf Podcast with your host, Andy Torres. All right, guys, welcome to the show. I got a great show tonight, episode number 69 of Nothing Is OB South Texas Golf Podcast. I got Coach K, Coach John Kennard from the University of Texas at San Antonio, head men's golf coach. He's going to talk to a little bit about how the season went, uh, his highs, his lows, and a little bit about his journey throughout collegiate golf. Hey, Coach K, thanks for joining the show tonight. I appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Let's get right into it, Coach. Now, looking at your schedule this past year, you had some ups, you had some downs. And talking a little bit off air, we talked about the real success that your team had this year. You had 104 wins, so 61 losses. Now, why don't you explain to everybody just a little bit about that home at home, what that 104 wins means? Because it seems like that was the most, it looks like that was the most in program history, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. Um, so in golf, I mean, you know, in football, you play a game and you either win or lose and you have a, a head-to-head record. And uh, in golf, you play tournaments. So there's, you know, maybe 12 teams in a tournament. We played a tournament this year that had 25 teams in it uh, and another one that had 20, etc. And so where you place, you know, you either beat some teams, lose to some teams, tie them, you know, whatever. So if there's 12 teams in a tournament and you finish second, you know, then you went 10 and one that week uh, against everybody. And, uh, and which is your overall record. Um, so yeah, 104 wins this year. That was the, the most in school history. Uh, a few years ago, prior to COVID, uh, we had a hundred. That was the first time we'd ever broken a hundred wins. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, overall winning percentage, you know, pretty good, pretty good deal there. Um, obviously, all of that stuff plays into your your national ranking and in the polls and and those kind of things. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into it. There's a there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes into those polls. I mean, whether it's strength of schedule or um, you know wins against certain pods top 25 teams, top 50 teams, stuff like that. And there's actually two things that are really, really hard for people to digest. And so in a three round tournament, it's almost like three separate tournaments. So like if we had the low round the first day, that's really like, you know, and and there's 15 teams. It's kind of like going 14 and 0 that day. The next day we had the fifth low round, right? But maybe it was only about, we still might be in the lead in the tournament or might be in second in the tournament, but we would have gone whatever that math is, 11 and five, or, you know, that kind of thing, right? And so behind the scenes on the computer, there's even more in depth to it. But overall, at the end of the tournament, you know, that's where, where you kind of finish. Um, and then stroke differential and some of the other things go into that poll as well. Well, Luckily enough, I had the privilege of watching one of y'all's tournaments last year when they had that um, – it helped me out with the name. They had the collegiate tournament out at TPC that y'all hosted because, because of COVID. It was a Cabo. Yeah, it was, it was a Cabo. It, it was a Cabo collegiate tournament, and it was, yeah. held, it was held there at, uh, at, right. at TPC San Antonio at uh, the, the Oaks course, right? Or the right. Kennys. It was it Oaks or Kennys? Yeah. Oaks, yeah, the Oaks. And it was really neat because you had some top-notch – you had some top-notch programs that were there. And it seems like every team, whether it's a, a perennial powerhouse or a well-known household name or a school like a, like a Sam Houston State, it seems like every team can go low on any given day. 
Well, men's college golf, uh, honestly, over the last 10 years or so has gotten so deep. It's unbelievable. And, you know, in a lot of sports, you see where those kind of what you said, the blue blood perennial power teams, right? And I'm not saying that there's not those in, in golf. There is. But you definitely have a, a lot more kind of what you would consider a Cinderella story, I guess, in, in men's college golf uh, on a year to year basis. Somebody always crops up and they're sort of the team of the year and they're the butler or the Florida Gulf Coast that makes the final <laughs> four or, or whatever. Right. And certain sports are going to lend themselves to that. I mean, you play five guys, count four scores. It's not like you have to have. 150 football players all come together at once and make a run or whatever the thing is. And a lot of times your schedules are, are dependent on that in golf. We basically play a full national schedule and, you know, some of that may be, there are teams out there that are probably, it's a little easier for them to get into some good tournaments. And there's some teams that, you know, it's probably hard for them to knock, knock down that door, but you know, UTSA, we're going to play Conference USA football schedule, right? And then we're going to play Texas one game, and then we're going to play Houston or whatever thing is. But we're not going to have the same strength of schedule that Alabama's going to have because we don't play in the SEC. Well, in golf, you don't do that. I play in all these tournaments all around the country, and I can sort of set my schedule. I'm very blessed that I've been doing this for a long time. I know all the people, you know. And, and I'm able to kind of do that kind of thing. I was teasing uh, some of our other coaches the other day, and I was like, how do you guys on your non-conference stuff, when you do get a chance to go schedule these other games, how are you guys able to, you know, either achieve that or why is it holding you back? Because the difference is, do, do you think Coach Henson knows Coach Krzyzewski at Duke? Maybe he does. But, I mean, does he just pick up the phone and call Coach K? Or does Coach Trailer just pick up the phone and call Coach Saban? <laughs> but in my sport, the Coach Saban and the Coach – yeah, I just pick up – I got their phone number. Like, we're friends, right? <laughs> and so I, I'm really, really lucky. I don't say any of that to be like, oh, hey, I'm friends with Coach Saban. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that, like, I've just been doing this a long time. I've been in this business forever. I've been, you know – coaching at the other schools at A&M and Arizona. I was at the highest levels and, and, you know, those kind of things. And uh, so I'm able to pick the phone up and say, Hey, Texas A&M, I want to come to your tournament and, and get into that field. Now there's some schools that can't right? So the whole point in saying that is then we play a conference tournament at the end of the year. And so there's not sort of that, that regular season, championship or regular season schedule, I guess. And then you have that one tournament. And if you're ranked high enough, like we were last year, we got to go to the NCAA tournament on our own merit and we didn't win the conference championship, right? Well, this year we were literally just outside that number, very close, but not, not going to make it on our own. So we had to win the conference to get in. And, uh, and then that was, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yes, we are. And, and, you know, that's one thing that I know myself and a lot of viewers and listeners at home are very curious is that how are those relationships? Uh, I know you've been in the game a long time and I'm super curious because I, I do find that difficult uh, being in the coaching field. I mean, obviously not on the level that you're on, but, you know, relationships do help you, 
you know, get your team into a tournament or get your team into like a better situation. Now, how does that all work when, when these tournaments are formed? Or is there like a huge board or something that's put out that there's like all these invitationals no. and spots are available? Or is it just like, is it just kind of like these, these backyard handshakes or backyard deals that, that get done behind the scenes? Yeah, it's probably more like the second thing you said. Um, so for instance, most teams play 70% of their schedule, I bet, the same every year. They always go to, you know, whoever you are. If you're Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, you're the number one team in the country, but you still probably play six of those 10 tournaments the same every year. You always go to the Vegas tournament. You always go to Florida's tournament. You always go to whoever, right? So the same thing happens with me. I kind of have a certain amount of tournaments that I always go to. I always play in A&M's tournament. It's a big deal tournament, a lot of top-ranked teams. I always play in Houston's All-American tournament, 18, 20 teams, a bunch of top-ranked teams. But I always play in those events. I always play in Louisiana Lafayette's tournament, you know, if uh, hosting our home tournament or whatever the deal is. But there's always going to be a couple that you switch around. So you start looking and you say, hey, you know, I kind of need a tournament in this two-week gap. What tournaments are out there? And then you can go to the, the golf stat, uh, you know, uh, schedules and see every tournament that's played during those two weeks. And you can say, okay, well, hey, so for instance, this next year, compared to last year, we started at uh, LaTeX tournament. So we're going to go back there. Same thing. All right, great. Well, then the second tournament was our home tournament. And we have come to a point where we feel like the date that we had was overshadowed by other events and some other other factors. And we didn't like that anymore. We couldn't get the field that we wanted to get. So we've decided to not host our tournament next year. So we're going to take a year off. Now, I was teasing my assistant the other day. I said, you know, I went and did the math. And last year was the 50th college golf tournament that I have hosted. I said, man, that might be a good number to stop on. We might never host it. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how we like it. But uh, anyway, so we got to replace that. So I'm looking in that kind of two-week window. So the New Mexico tournament, which is the, the Tucker, the William H. Tucker, it's a historic event, a lot of great teams, especially West Coast teams. Uh, and that's the other thing in your scheduling. You kind of want to play guys from everywhere. You can totally hole up in your own little region, and just drive around and not, not do too much, play on the same kind of grass every week and play the same teams every week. And it, it's really a bad thing for you. Uh, unless I guess you just win every tournament and win by a lot, but still you, you don't have any other touch to these other teams. So if I play Texas state eight times, that's not going to help me as much as if I only played them four times but the other four times I played whoever USC and Yale and Florida and Ohio state. Right. Because now the only way to touch those other four teams is through someone else. So then if Texas state goes and they play Ohio state somewhere and they lose to them by 50 shots and I've only beat Texas state by one shot, the computer basically thinks I'm 49 shots worse than Ohio state. And I've never played Ohio State. You don't know if I'm 49 shots worth, but it has to it has to touch you somehow down the line. By the end of the year, 
you you have some way of touching all the teams. You know the silly little things you see where somebody goes, mm, um, UTSA football beat you know, uh, Houston and Houston beat Baylor and Baylor beat Texas and Texas beat Oklahoma and they're ranked number one. So we're number one. <laughs> Stupid like that. But it's kind of like that. Now, I mean, obviously it's not. Are you, ser- are you serious? It's not that. Oh, but I'm saying it's kind of the same thing. You, you kind of have opponents, opponents, opponents down the line. And uh, so you want to play as many people as you can from all over the country. You don't want to just play people in the central or just in the southeast or you know, now what why don't you why don't you break it down for us, coach, for those people that don't know? So take us through what uh, uh what a tournament is like. Like when you go, uh how many practice rounds do you play or how many nines do you get in? When do you get in before the tournament? What is your prep like? What was your, or what was your prep like, especially for Texarkana for the conference tournament? All right, so there's basically two different kinds of tournaments. I mean, there's obviously a few more, but the basics are you either play 36-18 for 54 holes or you play 18-18-18 for 54 holes, so two or three days. In college golf, you get 24 playing dates of competition. doesn't matter how many holes you play. You play one hole, play 100 holes in that day. It's a day of competition. Okay? 24? Damn, that's so a lot of golf. 24. So you can split that up. That's either like 12 two-day tournaments or most people do kind of half and half. You play, you know, some two-day events, some three-day events. And then sometimes you even play, we went this year uh, up to Baylor and there were four teams and we played two and it was match play, both matches. So we played a morning match and then we played an at the winners played the winners and losers played the losers, played an afternoon match. So you got, you got to play against and, – and same thing, head-to-head. So if you won that match, you got one win against that team. If you lost, you got a loss. And uh, just like, you know, at a tournament, if you were to beat them in stroke play. Um, and that was just one day of competition. It was just a one-day deal. So, But nonetheless, you normally have a, an 18-hole practice round the day before. And then depending on what you have going on as a coach, most of the time you go the day before that is your travel day. And you may travel into town, you may go to the golf course, and they may allow you to chip and putt or hit a few balls, but you don't get to play. Now, there's an occasion down at the Border Olympics because it's hosted by the Border Olympics. It's not, even though Houston is the host school, that's just in name only. The Border Olympics people host the tournament. Where's the Border Olympics? Is that in Laredo. Laredo Country Club? Yeah. Okay. And so they'll allow they'll allow if you come in the day before that they'll let you play that day too. So you get it's like getting two practice rounds if you want. You know if you're going to come in that early. Um, at Lafayette they do the same thing. They'll let you go out in the afternoon the day before that, and if you want to play. And uh, so some places now like at our tournament, no teams were allowed on the golf course that day before you got your one practice round on a Sunday, that was it. And so it kind of depends, but that's your basic thing. So when we went to Texarkana, we went up, it's a seven hour drive, got up early, drove up there, got there about two o'clock, checked into the hotel. And then we just went over uh, the local high school there, Texas high actually has phenomenal facilities. They have their own indoor facility. They have, I mean, it's crazy, right? It's like a college deal. They've got their own driving range deal, like right there at the back of their school, all this stuff. So my assistant was a former high school coach for a long time. He knows the guy there very well. And so we just called up. We went over there and we kind of made it a funsy kind of a day. 
we we hit a few balls and stuff, but we were doing these little chipping contests and these little putting games on their indoor thing. And just to sort of get a golf club in your hand, get out of the van, stretch, that kind of thing. It yeah, wasn't keep, any kind keep, of major. Keeping it pretty, pretty light and yeah. loose. You know? I mean, we weren't breaking the track man out and doing <laughs> work, yeah. right? So then the next day you get your practice round. And so, you know, you're going to get out early and, and do your warm up and do what work you need to do. But we always say when you get there, you got to already have it. You can't be searching for it. So we do all our, you know, your practice and your preparation before you, you get to the site. It's kind of, you got to dance with who you brought when you get to the site. You can't be saying, oh, suddenly, I don't know what happened, but I'm, I'm kind of fading it today. Well, we're not going to be just trying to reinvent the wheel to get that buddy aim left and fade it. I mean, that's what you got. And, 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 and in regards to that, I don't mean to cut you off in regards to that. I know you have your five guys that you go with. Do you have an alternate? And I know you have several other players that are part of the team that do compete as individuals throughout the season as well. So do, do you take those other individuals with you or how does that work? So during the regular season, um, we obviously would qualify, you know, so your five guys can switch, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so depending on, you know, who's playing good that week. But uh, you will then sometimes, like what you just mentioned, sometimes we'll get to play, take six or seven guys. Like at Laredo this year, we took two extra individuals. We had our five that were competing on the team. We had two guys competing unattached. So they can win the tournament individually, uh, but they obviously their score doesn't count towards our team. So that's during the regular season. Once you get to conference, regionals, and nationals, you're allowed to bring a sixth player they do not play in the tournament. They don't play like as an individual, but you now have someone literally sitting on the bench that after round two, old Joe over here hurts himself, breaks his finger. You can plug in the other guy or maybe he just played bad. Maybe shot 82 in the first round. You're like, yeah, I'm going to give the other guy a chance and you can flip them in and out. And then maybe that guy doesn't play good. Flip it. You know, you can flip each day before each round. You can set what five you want. Now, now um, how, how normal is that? Uh, from your years of coaching for you, for somebody to do that? So I've never switched a guy ever since we've done it. Now, we've only been doing this like four years or something like that where we had um, – The stroke play and then the match play or – No, but the the being able to sub. Oh, okay. Person. Yeah, so, so uh, that hasn't always been in place. No. Uh, when Bo Hostler for Texas hurt his shoulder – and had to then sit out the final match against Oregon, and they lost in the final match because they only they were playing with four, four. instead of yeah. five. Um, then the next year, people had been kind of talking about it a little bit, but that was sort of the thing that put it over the top. So we kind of called it the Bo Hoster rule. So <laughs> then now you can bring. Now, like I said, you know, it just depends. Every year at these tournaments, you're always going to you'll see a few teams will switch some guys. Maybe they're going to try to make some magic happen. I think it depends who you who you have. Do you have a team like Oklahoma State where your sixth guy is like an All-American guy anyway? <laughs> and you're yeah. like, hey, dude, you just shot 75. I want to try this other guy. Or do you have a team where your sixth guy, you know, he's barely worse than your fifth guy, but he's nowhere close to your fourth and third and second guy. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe that's not the guy you're wanting in there. You never know. Maybe you're only doing it if you're sick or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Me personally, if I got five guys rolled out there, what I've noticed about my team is whoever shoots the high score one day 
ends up shooting the lowest score the next day. You know what I'm saying? They, <laughs> they end up coming back and, and that's why they're in the lineup. They're good. And to just say, Oh, well you shot 82. I'm going to take you out. That's, that's not my deal. So I'm only going to take somebody out. If there's like a legit injury, someone is legitimately sick or someone literally comes to me and says, I'm hitting it so bad. You, you need to put the other guy in. I'm like, I can't do it. Okay. Then I'd be like, all right. But other than that, if they're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm ready to go. That kind of thing. You believed in them all year. You know, that to me, it's like the starting quarterback, just because the starting quarterback has a bad day in practice, you don't see the, them just switch. You know what I'm saying? And same thing, just because maybe you had a bad first quarter or something like that, it's not until, you know, dire straits do they say, okay, let's put the backup in. You know what I mean? And so I kind of look at it like that. And, and it seems like you're the type of coach I'd love to play for. It seems like you're the type of coach that, that gets behind their guys, that believes in them, that even when maybe they feel like they're weak, you pick them up and you lift them up. And it seems like, especially those past several years where you know, you've had immense success and you've like the 104 victories that you've had this year, what would you say has been the biggest, I guess, or the one identity that your team has really shown or really like, you know, what's that feel that you get when you're around your guys? Um, I would say it's a resiliency kind of thing. If you're hearing my dog, I'm That's sorry. Okay. It's all right. It's all right. Good. In here. Um, so last year, last year, we did a great job of what I mentioned before. I mean, it was no joke. I should probably go back and look at the stats, but whoever shot the high round is guaranteed they were low guy the next time. And so we just kind of kept replacing what was going on. And, you know, it wasn't so they they never got down on themselves. You know, they didn't look at that and go, oh, man, you know, I'm playing bad. Oh, I'm a bad player now. They were like, no, I'm a good player. I happen to have a bad day. I'm going to play great tomorrow. And they would go out and do it. Uh, this year, you kind of mentioned it in your opening thing. It, it really was a roller coaster kind of deal. Like we started out, we lost two seniors last year who were starters and we thought, you know, a lot of times you'll justify things and you'll say, hey, well, you know what? We got so-and-so coming in and so-and-so got a lot better and whatever. I think if this and this and this and this happens, we could be just as good. But you kind of don't know, right? So we said all that, right? And we said, oh, I think we're going to be, you know, we could be just as good and all that kind of stuff. We go to the first tournament. There's 17 teams um five or six top 50 teams we finished second we only lose to lsu by six shots and they shot like 14 under the last day they played fantastic and we just didn't have an answer for them we shot like one or two under and um we we came out of there like that was phenomenal hey we were right we're we're just as good as last year or maybe we're better this is fantastic well then we go to our home tournament the field was not superstar strong or anything like that. And so I think we felt like, you know, it's our home course. We just came off this week. We're going to win that kind of thing. Uh, at least that's what we should do. Right. And man, we got off to a really, really bad start through the first five, six holes. I mean, we're like dead last on the field. Oh and, you know, as a coach, you know, you're like, ah, there's so many holes to play. This will all shake out. And sure enough, it did. By the time the end of the first round came down, I mean, we were like in the lead but only by a few shots or whatever. And then, then we extended that. We ended up winning the tournament, maybe by 15 shots or something. And two of my guys, Michael Rome and Hunter Bott, co-champions, won individually. We're like, man, 
I mean, we just went second, first. I mean, we were like, I forget the thing now, but so there would have been 14. I mean, we were like 31 and one was our record. And we got two individuals. We're like, whew, we're good. And then we go to SMU and we play very mediocre, finish right in the middle of the field. And then we go to Houston to a tournament that Sam Houston and Texas State kind of co-hosted in the field again. Wasn't real strong. And we played absolutely off. Now, we still finished fourth, but, I mean, that didn't mean anything. I mean, the field just wasn't that good. And it was it was awful. So we ended the fall on a real low note. So I said, hey, just got to shake it off, you know. It was. It is what it is. Let's come back in the spring, and we'll play great, and we'll get it going. And we always used to play better in the spring than we do in the fall. And we play pretty much the same tournaments in the spring year after year. We know these courses. We you know have all this you know uh, experience on these on these fields. And man, it was one week after another where we just played very uninspired kind of thing. And I, that's the wrong word because it's not that we didn't give the right emotion or, you know, your football coaches always talk about, well, we gave a great effort, you know, or, well, or we didn't give a very good effort today. It wasn't that my guess they gave a great effort every day, but the score just wasn't matching the effort we were given. And I finally told my assistant coach after a while, I was like, you know, I feel stupid for maybe not figuring this out sooner, but I, I wasn't sure we could have figured it out sooner, but Towards the very end, we were like, this has nothing to do. Like, the reason we're playing bad is not because we're hitting it bad or we need to do some certain putting drill or some certain thing. This is all mental. Absolutely all mental on what we're doing. And so we really just got back to basics on instead of, like, trying so hard, trying to make birdies, just avoid making bogeys. You know, that's the best way to play golf. And to shoot the lowest score is avoiding the bogeys, not – making the birdies you know what i'm saying and we we finally started to see a little light there we shot 15 under in the final round at uh in uh, arizona 25 teams i think we were in like 19th or something at, going into the final round we finished seventh we moved up i remember that yeah i remember that it was i was just like i, I, yeah. I remember reading the, the article and i said did i read this right because i was like that's just a drastic you know, from yeah. one day to the next. We kind of put it, to, kind of put it together, and you know, so that doesn't always mean. So the very next round, the next tournament at A and M, and we didn't play all that great in the first round. We same thing, kind of had to work through it, but we finally got it hitting on all cylinders at the conference championship. We played three really, really solid rounds of golf at the conference championship, and then the final round, you know, it was very tight. We're about four or five shots ahead you know, of the, of the fifth place team so that we can make the match play. And I'm really kind of thinking, telling my assistant, I was like, we're on number 12. I was like, you know, we have historically played these last few holes this week, pretty good. You know, as long as there's not some meltdown or some other team doesn't just make 12 birdies and, you know, it could happen, but I was like, you're talking about extremes. We're probably going to be okay. And like, literally, as soon as I said it, 15 minutes later, Christian makes a 10 Oh, on the par five and damn. you know just one of those moments kind of like Sergio it, the hole was <laughs> like 13 at the Masters and oh. he just kind of he kind of kept dumping it in the water kind of deal <laughs> so anyway suddenly we're only one shot ahead now well from that point forward they played six under par and they played the last four holes all five guys bogey free inspired 
It was awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. So and we moved back up out of the fourth place into third place. And we're kind of like, okay. So again, we played fantastic in the match play in the first round, win four to one. And then uh, in the second round, we played really good golf. Charlotte, 28th ranked yeah, team in the country, ranked team, better yeah. than we did. And, um, and it was one of those weird things where we kind of felt like we had two matches. I don't want to say it in the bag, but like we were in really good control. Yeah, you were up. I, I was I was looking at those. Yeah, you yeah, were up, with you a few holes to play. One of our matches was already over. Hunter bought, I mean, Hunter was like even par on the day, and he just got destroyed. I mean, the other guy was six under, he only missed one green. And uh, and he was and that guy's a conference player of the year and the whole nine yards and stuff, but still he played great. And um, and Christian Fanfell is like two down and he's one under on the day and he's still down. And uh, and then David Fanfell was a couple down. And so, I mean, David uh, Harrison was a couple down. So anyway, I'm on the 17th green, and my assistant's down on 16 green, 17 tee. 17 is a drivable par four. And Christian is really long. So, I mean, this is like three wood for him. Everybody else trying to hit driver up on the green, you three wood. And so I'm thinking, okay, he had, he had just won a hole. He's, he's only one down with two to play. I'm like, here's what's going to happen. We're going to win those other two matches. We've already lost one. We're likely going to lose David's match because he's like three down with three to go kind of thing. He'd have to have a serious rally. I said, but Christian's probably going to win this hole or win the last hole and go to extra holes like we did three years ago. Yeah. And it's, while he's up on the green chipping, David's hole gets closed out on 16 green. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I think we got a good chance here. And the next thing I know, the other guy makes a long birdie putt and boom, it's over. Like within 20 seconds, my thought process was this could go to extra holes. We got a really good chance here. And then I was like, oh, never mind. It's over. We lost. Well, that's, so it was like real crazy that, kind of a surreal that, feeling. I like didn't know what to do. That's that's something you, you explained to me in the first time I interviewed you and discussing uh, what occurred about three years ago that uh, I remember I remember you stating the same situation. Uh, I, I can't remember what player it was, but you know, it, I was in the playoff hole and you, you mentioned something that maybe some people don't get when you're out on the course and when it's a man on man, you know, match play, I think it's like the purest form of competition in golf. It's the one thing we have is that's a one-on-one is that you always, you really always have to assume that your opponent's going to make the putt mm-hmm. and you hate it. You so hate it when it happens. Yeah, no, you do. Uh, what you mentioned was uh, years ago. So Michael Rome finishes his match off and his half. So they're going to extra holes. Now we still have to win another match coming down 18, which we did. By that time, Rome's on about the third hole. And drama has already ensued. I mean, like he had an eagle putt on the second green. The other guy's over the green, like in the bushes. And we were like, that's it we're going to win. And the other guy chips it out of the bushes, runs it up the thing to about six, seven feet, makes it for birdie. Michael misses his 15 foot Eagle halves it with birdie. They move to the next hole. And then it was the opposite. Michael is so out of position, short-sided over a bunker, no chance. The other guy's got 15 feet. That's it. We're going to lose. He flops it up there to maybe 20, 25 feet and makes it. The other guy two putts. So they have, and then, then, the last two holes, the fifth hole was the most dramatic. The middle Tennessee guy has it in there on the right level. The, the green is a two level deal. 
and he's on the bottom level with the hole maybe 12 feet, but it breaks. I mean, it's not an easy putt. You know, it's kind of a little downhill slider, but still it's like 12 feet. And Michael's shot sails to the top shelf. I mean, the chances of him even two-putting this maybe aren't that great. I mean, we're kind of hoping he can nestle one down there, and then we got to hope the other guy misses. And Michael cans it from like 50 feet. The place goes berserk. It's as if we're in. And so that's where I said to myself, expect him to make it, expect him to make it. I'm saying that in my mind because I'm like, but there, and I'm, but I'm still thinking there's no way this guy's going to make this <laughs> with the, the scene that just happened. This was like the deal at the Ryder cup when Justin Leonard's running around the green and people are going crazy and screaming. Cause we've got all these parents and grandparents there. They've got no one there, but there's 60 people surrounding the green. They're all cheering for us. And the other dude makes it. And then on the next hole, they both kind of hit it 18 feet. Our guy's downhill leaves it this far short in the jar. And the other guy had one uphill so he could make a better run out. He made it six playoff holes. But yeah, it was the same kind of, it was a little bit of that kind of thing, but it was, I don't know. I just, I had this good feeling about Christian. I just had a good feeling about what was going to go on that even if they didn't win that 17th hole, he could go to 18, maybe win that hole. Like it, I just didn't expect it to be over right then. And then boom. And one of the things I do for my team every year is if you're a senior on my team playing your last round of golf, I position myself where you are on the golf course so that when you're coming down like 18, I stop and I walk the entire hole with you. And we talk about all the stuff that went on during your four years. And, you know, we laugh about some things and we do all this stuff and then you put out and big hug, you know, some tears, whatever the deal is. So I always do that with everybody. So last year at the regional, when, you know, we're coming down the 18th hole, I got to do that with Chad. I got to do it with Colin and all this kind of stuff. Well, this time I'm not even thinking about going to the back so I can play, you know, walk a last hole with, with Michael. I'm still thinking this thing's going to go to the end and maybe we're going to win and go to the regional and do it. And suddenly I'm like, oh, it's over. So I get in my cart and I drive down back to 14 fairway where Michael's already been told that it's over. So they're walking in oh. and just stopped him. And I was, you know, he took his bag off. We hugged in a fairway and I just kind of told him, I said, Hey man, you know, I'm sorry. I always walked that last hall. I didn't get a chance. I said it, I thought we were going to win and it suddenly was over and I just want to come to, you know, and just kind of said my piece and you know, that kind of thing. So it's sort of a nice moment. His dad was there and that kind of stuff, but uh, I didn't get a chance to kind of do my normal thing. I like to, I like to do with those guys. And so, I don't know, I felt like it was taken away from me a little bit and uh, should have at least got to go to a couple more holes. So I could have uh, done the yep. right thing. You could have, you could have kept up with your tradition and that stings being a coach uh, that stings, especially, you know, for your kids that, that aren't going to be there next year and that have been an integral part of your program. But in being at, in being at some of the tournaments, man, coach, uh, the parents, the fans, man, they love you. They love these kids. They love the team. And it seems like you really give it that, that love, that feel, that, that personal touch that maybe, maybe people that, that don't manage that, that are managers, that are managers and that are coaches that maybe don't do. And so I appreciate that for what you do for, for my school, you know, for, for the kids there at UTSA. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've said it on this show before. I mean, I probably do things a little bit differently. I think there's a lot of coaches that will say they do a lot of the same things I do, but I, I just truly believe that um, golf is, is something that's for a lifetime. 
it's not just for these four years. You know, some of these football players, you know, they get injured or whatever. I mean, they don't ever play football again, you know, or, you know, I tease the track coach all the time. Like nobody runs track, like nobody runs, you know, nobody pole vaults, you know, and that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, people aren't coming back to have a pole vault fundraiser, coming back to playing the golf fundraiser and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm always teasing those guys. And I, I just feel like these relationships, these kids I'm bringing here, I, I bring the kids that want to be here. These are not kids that, um, you know, are looking for a way to, oh, maybe if I play good, I could go on the transfer portal and transfer to Texas or something like that. That's They want to be roadrunners and they want to represent their school and they want to play good so that our school does good and so they can come back again next year and do good again. And, you know, they're lifelong uh golfers but they're going to be lifelong roadrunners and come back and and uh and give back and do, but that, I don't mean to cut you off coach but that's something you've built. That's something you've built. I mean, you've taken this program, I mean, from like the basement. You've taken it to the basement and and it's a very well respected uh, you've turned it into a well respect respected program. And yeah. like like I mean, your supporters, I mean like like we felt that we when especially being away and looking at that seeing that 3 to 2 defeat uh, to number 28 Charlotte, like that stung, that hurt, you know, just seeing that heartbreaking loss and hearing you say that, like that hurts us because we expect great things. We expect, expect great things from, from the program, you know, from y'all. And uh, that's something, how have you dealt with that success now that, you know, it, people expect you to be there? Um, you know, I, we kind of stole a little of the don't eat the cheese thing from the football team. And, and we kind of told our guys, look, I mean, none of this stuff from year to year really, I guess football, basketball, these other teams, it's, it's really the same thing. But I think fans are what? They're fanatics, right? And so just because your team went 12-2 and two last year doesn't mean our team's going to go 12-2 and two this year. It's a different team. And even though a lot of the players may be the same, it's we got some different coaches. We got a different schedule. We're not even playing the same non-conference teams. Um, we're not playing, you know, the getting to play Western Kentucky here. Well, next year we got to play them there or whatever the deal is or not play them at all and those kind of things. And I think people don't think about that. And so I've always told our guys, golf's completely different. You know, last year we might have played in a tournament um, – that the weather was awful and we didn't do very well. Well, this year we played the exact same tournament on the exact same dates and the weather was beautiful. Maybe we played good. So golf being outside, all the things, it's just, it's a completely different year that you have to start over every year and, and nothing is given to you because you were good last year. There's no preseason poll. You know, they'll start out with a preseason poll and they'll say Alabama's number one and Clemson's <laughs> number two and Ohio State's number three, Right. And that's off what they did last year. And they'll, they'll, they'll have a little projections. Maybe, if you, you know, Georgia lost 15 kids to the draft. So maybe they're going to be fourth and not first, right? But they're still going to be up there high. Well, then they'll start playing a few games. And those things will change a little bit if somebody has an upset and loses or, you know, uh, Texas will be ranked number eight and they'll lose the first two games and then they'll be out of the poll or whatever the thing is, right? Or somebody else won't be ranked and they'll suddenly be in the, well, golf doesn't do that. It starts completely over your body. Where you don't get this little like nudge of, well, we were good last year, so we get a little bonus starting. So and I always tell those guys, yeah. 
Some that, of that doesn't mean anything. That, and, that's interesting. And it was a year ago. Every golfer knows. Everybody on this podcast knows. Last week, you played so good. Why is it you're playing so bad this week? Right? <laughs> because you played so good last week. How It was just a week ago. Well, think about my guys. That was like six months ago. So just because we played good doesn't mean we're going to play any good now. And vice versa, if we played bad a week but ago, it doesn't I, mean we're going to play bad again. I, I, I totally agree. And, and, and that's what makes your job difficult because your job is to make sure you're playing uh, hot and you're prime at the right spot and making sure your guys get battle tested all the way through from starting from last year, you know, in 2021 in the fall, and then into spring, into the spring, you have that tough job to making sure that, that, Hey, that your guys are hot at the right time. And it seems like these past several years, you're doing that. And, and it's great to see. You're the first person ever to say that my job is difficult. If I had a dollar for everybody who says, you're the golf coach, that's awesome. That must be the greatest job in the world. But it is. You golf every day. It is. It is. You do have, you do have a great job. You do no, have a great I job. Do have a great job. And, it, and, it, and it seems like uh, the school is just taking off as a whole, especially with the race facility that y'all have. How has that, how has that been for recruiting? How has that been for your, your guys as a fitness, a uh, uh, a program level. How has that been for y'all? Well, I'm undefeated in recruiting in that building. Any kid I've given a tour, we've signed. So, um, or at least got a commitment. Now, it's only been <laughs> a couple kids because with COVID, we had guys that stayed late. So, we've already, we only needed to get one player for 22 and one player for 23. So, I'm already onto the 24s and, uh, and have it's been okay. on been onto the 24s for a good six something months or whatever. Now, now I got, I got, I got a couple of people on here. They're like, uh, that, that are comedied on here. Have you found any local talent? Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that holds all the records for us is Xander Lozano played at Bernie champion. Um, I see his sign. I, I see his sign all the time. Yeah, uh, home one of, of our the- best players on our team now is Christian Fanfell, who is from here. Um, we have, uh, Patrick Kahanic on our team right now. Who's from here. Um, I know Patrick. I, I, I see Patrick all the time at Oak Hills. I yeah, see him all the time at Oak Hills. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so yeah, we've had we've had numerous players from uh, the local areas. One of the things that I had to learn when I got here, um, coming from Tucson, you know, you think Arizona is this golf rich kind of state, right? Because oh, there's all these golf courses, all these golf tournaments, everybody plays golf, but it's a very it's either uber elite country club type atmosphere or it is a lot of like resort type stuff tons of like resort type golf come stay in the hotel play golf that kind of thing and so to be real honest the years that i was there 98 to 2008 and and before that too but up to 2008 we didn't really have a lot of players from the arizona the state of arizona on our team at arizona we recruited from all over the place right so I kind of showed up here more with a knowledge of I knew Texas and I knew Texas was wrought with talent, but didn't really understand that hometown thing because I hadn't done that. And same thing when I was in college station at A&M, I mean, we weren't recruiting any college station kids. I mean, there's been two or three kids come out of college station that have been like really good over the past handful of years. And so when I got here though, it kind of, I guess, didn't dawn on me. I mean, it's the seventh largest city in the country. I mean, I don't care 
where you are. I mean, there's just going to be somebody good here, right? It's, <laughs> it's bound to be, right? It's and so be. we weren't good enough to recruit any of those players, right, at first. And so I kind of had to get a lot of Dallas and Houston and Austin and whatever, right? Well, then we fir- finally started picking up a couple of local kids. Then we finally got Lozano, who was the top guy, right? And before him, we had gotten J.J. Lindsay. Uh, a lot of you guys know yeah, J.J. Yeah, yeah, J.J. I just, I, just saw him, I just saw him tonight. Yeah, so when yeah, J.J. was a junior, he was the player of the year in San Antonio his year, and we were in, able to get him. And then after that, Xander, and we got Sean Meehan out of Johnson High School. And we've gotten, a, we've gotten our share of guys, right? Now, we didn't get them all, you know, and uh, I, we'd be a lot better if we did. There's a couple guys that are – playing for some other schools right now who uh who are really really good that that got out of town but so tell me has has there been any any one of those dark horses that maybe that uh you threw a late a late offer to that has maybe you know gone above and beyond what what maybe that uh he looked on paper Mm, well not a dark horse. We're always ahead of the game. Like I said, I'm on the 24s now. So there's nothing dark about anybody. There's no, we don't, we don't do anything to where it's just sort of like last minute or whatever. Now I will say we, we did uh, sign a kid or had a verbal commitment from a kid from Oklahoma who we really liked. And uh, a couple of years ago and kind of almost last minute in, uh, in the summer um, kind of said, you know, I don't know. I just don't know if it's the right thing for me. He ended up just not even really playing college golf. He explored some division two stuff. He kind of really changed his tune on some things and it turned us into a late deal. And we got Jack Wayman from Vandergrift high school. And they're a, you know, a really strong program. And he would, he had kind of bloomed a little bit late for them. And so he had not, you know, signed with anybody yet. And we got him. That turned out to be a big winner for us. I mean, he was a starter for us uh, this year. Uh, he redshirted his first year and then started every event for us this year. And uh, so I guess that would be kind of one. But most of the time, the story is the opposite. Like I saw Hunter Bott, who plays on our team now uh, as a junior. When when he was like a junior in high school, he was pretty late to the game. Like he Kind of, and Xander Lozano was the same way. Like he really started playing competitive tournament golf too. He was like a freshman in high school. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm recruiting the sophomores right now. So if you're just starting to play as a freshman, like you got no chance, right? And so I saw Hunter as a junior, and I called Kyle. I said, "Hey, look this guy up in the in the rankings." I said, "There's no chance that he's very high, but I'm telling you right now, we got to have him, and we need him right now. And I hope he's not ranked high." And he was like 52 in the state. And you're trying to get top 10, top 20 ranked kids in the state. Those are kind of more your blue chip guys. And I was like, perfect. I said, I'm telling you, this guy will be in the top 10 by the time he comes to school. And he, of course he did. He was, you, <laughs> you know, called it. You called it. Because we saw it, right? I mean, it was like the writing was on the wall. This dude was amazing. He looks like Brooks Kepka. He's like huge. He's like a yeah, yeah. He's a big, he's a solid dude. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, over the course of the years, though, what I've really noticed, and, and it's, you know, a coach, what are, what are you as a coach? You're a teacher. So it's no different than when you're teaching a kid an algebra problem and he's struggling and you can just tell he's not getting it, whatever. And then suddenly like the light comes on and you see him get it. And that's so awesome as the teacher, right? Well, the same thing here, like Hunter asks me stuff all the time, coach, what do you, what do you think I should do from this lie or whatever? And I'll say, Oh, you just do this, this, and this. I mean, it is so simple. It's like something you teach a kid at golf camp. Right. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. 
Like, because no one's doing that. Because he came to it so late and he was so talented, they basically skipped the fundamentals with him and went steps, straight yeah. to all the, the crazy stuff, right? And and so, I mean, I've taught him some stuff around the greens or in bunkers. Like, I'm, I kid you not, it's stuff I would teach at golf camp to just the junior kids, right? And he's just, like, baffled by like, this is unbelievable. Like, that's great. And the light comes on. And it's neat to see that because you just don't get that anymore. And college athletics is so elite now that you don't get a kid that is not, you know, grew up and David Ledbetter was his teacher or Butch Harmon or whatever, and he's played in 10 U.S. Opens already. You know what I'm saying? You don't get these kids. Now, got another question right here. Any advice for junior golfers trying to get seen? All right. The first thing you got to do is you got to evaluate where, where you're at, what your skill level is at. And so if what you're talking about is a eighth grader and they're coming along pretty strong, you're like, this guy's getting pretty good. This girl's getting pretty good, whatever the deal is. Well, then you just kind of got to figure out what tournaments to get in. It's all about tournament golf. And, and you can be seen two ways. I don't have to be at the tournament, but I look up the results and I see, oh, hey, look at little Bobby here. This guy shot 66 in the final round. Wow. Check that. Oh, he's a class of 24. I'm going to keep his name over here on the side. And then the next term we go to, oh, hey, this Bobby kid, this shot. let's go watch him. Right. And then the other way is, though, if you're a later person, like say you're already a junior in high school or even a senior in high school and you haven't been getting a lot of looks, you got to really decide what where do you truly land? Because I think too many people only think that A&M and Texas and Texas Tech have golf teams. And that's not true. And just because you can't play there and you may not be able to play for us, there's a whole bunch of teams. There's 22 Division I teams in the state of Texas. And then on top of that, there's Division II teams and Division Three and junior college and NAIA and all these other things. There's there's like a thousand schools out there that, you know, that have good facilities and all these places you can go to. But you have to be willing to see wh- where are you truly at? And uh, too many times you see kids and parents have bought into the, oh, you know, I'm going to go and play football at Alabama. And no, you're not. But there's a bunch of other places. Right. And they just almost discount it like, well, okay, the writing's on the wall. My kid can't play golf at Oklahoma state and Oklahoma and whatever. And then it's almost like they just give up and ditch it. Well, I couldn't go to Texas. So I'm going to go do whatever. And I would say in the old days, when I went to, I graduated high school in 1990. Now that philosophy was a lot more prevalent because if you couldn't play on the PGA tour and beat people like Phil Mickelson, there was no other tour. These other, there was no corn fairy tour and there was no path through PGA university to get to the corn fairy tour and the whatever. I mean, they had other tours, the Hooters tour and the Adams tour and different things, but they were awful, right? You paid six, $700 back when that was just like, I mean, that'd be like paying thousands of dollars now. And so you were just playing for your own money. You know what I'm saying? It, it wasn't a yeah, very, you weren't, you weren't getting a big return. So I knew as a high school golfer, I, I had offers from some division two schools, division three schools. Uh, I did not know like what I just talked about. Like I didn't really know down the line of division one, like really paid much attention to that. And so I knew I couldn't play at A&M and I couldn't play, you know, like that. So I was like, ah, eh, I'm just going to go to school at A&M and get a, get a degree 
I'm not going to go play at Methodist University, which is Division Three, which wins the national championship every year. They are the Alabama football of Division Three golf. I mean, they're a juggernaut. Well, shoot, it's like it's well, like I was recruited, it's like, I was like recruited by them, but I had no interest whatsoever. No interest. They're in North Carolina. I could have gone to North Carolina, over to North Carolina, played all this great <laughs> golf, done all this stuff, but I didn't. It just didn't even bother me. Because I knew there was no future past that. Like, why am I going to even go play golf? I'm not going to be a golf pro. I'm going to go do whatever, right? Okay, well, fast forward to today. Guess what? There's a bajillion places to play pro golf. All these kids can turn pro and at least give it a try. And so now it's more important to play than to sit on the bench. And so don't just kind of discount, well, maybe I'm not good enough to play there. Or even if I am good enough that they'll give me a walk-on spot, man, I'm probably never going to play, you know, those kind of things. Find some of these schools. You just got to kind of look at, look it up. That, this internet is a pretty amazing thing. You can find <laughs> well, well, like, well, like you stated, uh, I know St. Mary's here in town They're mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're always for division two. They're, they're always up there. They're mm-hmm. always up there. One of my good buddies, Jamie Amoretti, he was like a two-time division two, national championship, mm-hmm. national champion, individual. And, but you know what, he had a lot of trouble getting out of Q school and, you know, and, and, and unfortunately that's what happens a lot. But like you stated now, like people are understanding that there are other avenues to get out there. If you love the game, if you truly love the game and you do not look at it as a job or you do not look at it as a, as a chore, uh, you know, they're out there. Like has the, has the NIL deals or any of the transfer portal, has that affected your program at all or has that come up as something of a topic between you and your staff so yes and no um chad sewell uh finished his four years here and because of covid you get a fifth year and but not knowing what you were going to do we already had our kids recruited out right and so we already had our money spoken for And so when we were talking to Chad, we were like, look, we'd love for you to come back for your fifth year. This will be fantastic. But we've already promised this, this, this and this. And so you're technically going to have to take a pay cut, you know, on your scholarship to do this. And if it's something you want to do, God, we'd love to have you. Well, financially, they decided because he's going to turn pro uh, after that fifth year, they were like, well, wait a minute. I could come to UTSA and now I'm spending an extra 12 grand, you know, on my apartment and on all this other stuff, or he could transfer back home. He's from Conroe, transfer back home, go to Sam Houston state lives at his house, takes all his classes online. He doesn't even have to go to the campus, shows up the golf course. It's like having a free, free year of college golf, right? And with nothing. And they don't have to give him a whole bunch of scholarship money like we weren't able to either, right? But he was able to live at his house, save that money so he can, that's 12 more thousand dollars he has when he turns pro to utilize on entry fees and all this other kind of stuff, right? So that was a financial, you know, we had no hard feelings. I mean, we're all still friends. We text each other. When we play together with them at other tournaments, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. His parents still come with our parents to go eat, and so that's, I mean, it wasn't like transferring, like, cause you're mad, you know, or you were unhappy. It was just purely a business decision. So I have had someone transfer out on that deal, but no, I have not had anyone transfer out, you know, that kind of stuff. Same thing. We always have our ducks in a row so far in advance. We haven't had anybody transfer in people call us all the time. 
oh man, I'd love to transfer. I'd love to. And I'm like, sorry, like we've got a limit of eight guys on our team. We got eight. We've got our, like, I got nothing, you know, even if you wanted to come walk on, I couldn't take you because I can't have a ninth guy. I only have eight guys. So when you, so when you have those eight guys, coach, I don't mean to cut you off. When you have those eight guys now, are you able to give them a hundred percent full scholarships or do you give like 70% of their scholarship or what? No, you get four and a half scholarships by the NCAA. And so you split that all, split that all up. And uh, so having a smaller roster does help you give your kids more. And normally you kind of come in on a smaller amount and then over your years, you kind of get a little bonus here or a raise here, or, you know, when someone graduates, you give out some of their money and then you use some of it to recruit, blah, blah, blah. And seniors are on the most money so that you have the most to recruit with, but then also what's left over to dish out again to the next guys. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of a little, little system. Now what we've got going on now, what I told you earlier, I only recruited one guy in 22 and one guy in 23 because we had guys stay late. Michael Rome stayed for his fifth. Christian Fanfell staying for his fifth. Uh, both Bott and Harrison the next year staying for their fifth. And so we, we've got all this stuff. Basically, when COVID happened, I decided I can't go recruit anyone, right? There were all these recruiting rules. Couldn't recruit. So how about I recruit my own team to stay an extra <laughs> year? Because I know how good they are. I don't know how good these high school kids are that aren't even playing any golf. So I recruited my whole team virtually to stay. And, and then we had two guys, Jack and Reed, who were freshmen last year. Our team was so strong last year, they, hadn't, they couldn't break in the lineup, so they redshirted. So I got four years worth of guys that can play for five wow. years. So anyway, we talked about it today in the office about how what we'll probably do is here in a couple years, we will get a transfer portal guy to fill in with those ones where you only have ones in those spots so that then as they cycle out, we get back to our two in every class instead of this deal where we've got two, one, one, two, two, you know, things like that. Man, you sound like you'd be a great uh, fantasy football guy. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Uh, so like I said, not this year and not in, but starting in, and we'll get two freshmen in 24, but starting around the 25 class, we will get uh, – we'll start looking for uh, a transfer guys to start filling in with that 22 and 23 gap. So a guy that has two years left or a guy that has uh, one year – one guy that has just one year left, like a senior transfer, and then also a guy that has two years left, maybe a junior college kid, maybe just a kid from somewhere that's looking, that kind of thing. So we'll start scouring that here in a few years. But, like, right now, I'm, 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 I'm not joking. We get kids all the time that are really good players – or a coach because of my network will call me, you know, from a really good program. And they'll be like, Hey, I got this guy. And he hadn't made the lineup a whole bunch, but I mean, you know, they're like a top five team in the country. Like this guy's really good and stuff. And I, you know, wouldn't give a play. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have him. But guess what? I got nothing. I got nothing. Even if you wanted to walk on, I, I can't. And they'll be, Oh, coach, don't worry about it. He, he doesn't even need any money. This guy, they're like billionaires. I was like, doesn't matter. I can't take them. <laughs> and so it's kind of a hamstring kind of thing. You kind of feel like you're being left out, but we're going to get our chance here in a couple of years and we'll see, see what's out there. And you mentioned NIL. My guys really haven't dove into that a whole ton. Um, you know, you can get on the little, I don't know what they call it, little portal thing, not the portal, that's wrong, but we've got kind of a, a deal at campus, you know, and you can register for it. And basically then 
advertise whoever, you know, business people can also register and it kind of links them together and they can say, Hey, yeah, look at this golfer. I'd like to have this golfer tweet twice a week that our French fries are the best and I'll give them a hundred bucks or whatever. You know, there's just ways of doing that. Right. And, uh, I did not. She was just crazy. And I didn't think that UTSA was going to be affected much because I honestly, even though we get great support in the city of San Antonio, I was like, man, this is a deal where the quarterback and maybe like your starting point guard, you know, are going to get something because I didn't really understand the wild west that this thing was going to turn into. And uh, now it's turned into a crazy thing and we have got to jump on it because now the big schools with the transfer portal, it's a known deal you're not allowed, like the coach at AM is not allowed to call Hunter Bot and say, Hey, dude, uh, if you jump in that transfer portal, we got a spot for you. And, you know, we can do this. You can't say that. That's illegal. But it's almost like common sense. If you jump in a transfer portal, these big schools, somebody's going to want you because you're one of the better players. And they're all, it's all crazy. I mean, they're all getting tons of money. And so the thing that's going to hurt, my sport is, we'll take AM for example. You got this huge conglomerate of millions of dollars in the pool. And even the golfers, you know what I'm saying, are going to be able to get in there and get a piece of that. Let's just say they can get 15000 bucks in a year. Well, if you're on a half scholarship from the golf team, that 15000 covers your other half. So you're essentially on a full. All right. Now, when we got Xander Lozano, AM was looking at them. TCU was looking at them. Some of these other schools, they were offering them, you know, 20% and 15% or, or whatever the things was. And, and, you know, we offered him a ton of money, right? Because we knew he was going to be great. Well, now my full scholarship is not going to be worth anything anymore because now even an AM is going to say, well, we're going to give you nothing. We'll give you books, 200 bucks. <laughs> you can make this 15 grand. That's essentially 55%. And you're playing for a top 10 team in the country. So even if I'm offering them a full, I'm 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 not going to have a chance against that. Yeah, you're losing. And those dudes only had to pay them two hundred dollars <laughs> out of the four and a half scholarships. So let me tell you what they do. They're not going to then dish out a bunch of money, right? Just to anybody and everybody. They're going to sit on it, and then when Jordan Spieth comes along, and they know they got to give Jordan Spieth a full scholarship, they have do it. it. Yeah, right. Do it. So this next year, if if a Jordan Spieth came along, right? And he said, coach, I want to come to your school. My grandma lives in San Antonio and I've always loved San Antonio. I know it's maybe weird. I can go anywhere I want in the country, but I want to play at UTSA. And I'd be like, well, I only have 62% left over <laughs> this year. Is that good enough? And he's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go over here for whatever. Right. So, yeah. so sometimes you're kind of hamstrung by what you have left. They will always have a full sitting in their pocket going unused. There will be years they'll only spend two scholarships. I guarantee it because of this now. And it's that's to me, you know, I've always been a deal where, cause I've coached at the halves before when I was in Arizona, we were the halves. And so I know what it's like. And so I've never really been the guy that's like, Oh man, the haves and the have nots and it's getting wider and blah, blah, blah. I mean, Hey, those, those teams are great. They got great facilities. If they can do, you know, that's, that's fine. I've never been like a whiner like that, but let me tell you right now, this split is fixing to get so crazy. That, but you know, you know what I'm, I'm really uh, 
kind of got a little bit of optimism about is San Antonio always comes through for its people. Whether that means they show up at a Spurs game, whether that means they show up at the rodeo, whether that means they show up in the Alamo Dome to see us play in the Conference USA Championship game. Just the fact that we started football here at the school and did what we've done in, in, a, in an amount of time, San Antonio always does that. And when I got the job, for those of you who remember the last time I was on here a year ago, I asked the ADs, how in the heck am I going to raise any money here? Like, we don't even have any, like, alumni, you know what I'm saying? That if, like, you know, compared to these other big schools, we only got a couple guys that are millionaires versus whatever, right? Well, they looked me in the eye and they said, San Antonio is the greatest, most philanthropic town there is. They said, it doesn't matter. Like, and, and, you know, my group that is a big supporter of mine, my UTSA 24, a lot of those people were Aggies, Longhorns, Texas Tech people, uh, out of state, went to school out of state. But you know what? Their business is here in San Antonio. They want to support San Antonio and they've never left me. And so I do have a little kind of like glimmer of hope that if there's one school that's going to ride this out with that has and has nots, it's going to be us because this town will step up and they want to see their folks do good. I agree. I agree with you. I, I totally agree. I, I, I teach and coach at a small Catholic school and I've always looked at things of I've never looked at the have nots. I've always looked at the haves. And I think that, the thing is, is that your team has taken really your personality, coach. You said resiliency. And I think, like you stated, I think uh, the city being very resilient, especially during the times that, you know, thank the Lord that we're hopefully getting over. The, and UTSA has been part of that resiliency as well. Uh, it seems like the athletic program, the school, it's bringing a lot of these people out that maybe graduated from somewhere else. And they, they want to support somebody and they want to see other people do well. And that's one thing that you, I, I love how you say you stated that, because I think those people are coming out. I know we tailgate for all the UTSA uh, home UTSA football games and we go to several of the away games. There's this one family there that they have this huge RV and uh, she's got like kids and grandkids that have gone to all these different schools. But where are they? They're there supporting UTSA. Mm hmm. Well, one of the last things, one of the last things I want to touch on, what are your thoughts on as you move uh, within the next couple of years to a new conference, leaving Conference USA and going to the American Athletic Conference? Um, well, I tell all the other coaches, um, this, this could be the greatest thing for us, right? Because what do you always want to do? You always want to play better competition. You're always told as a little kid, play basketball against your older brother and get beat and but that's going to make you better. Right. And so in the end, you're going to be better for it. And what I've seen now, this is purely my sport, not the other sports, because uh, there's other sports that are the opposite of this and some that have, you know, kind of whatever. But in my sport, when I got the job, we were in the Southland Conference. There were 10 teams and we were ranked about eighth out of those 10 teams. And just over the years, as we crawled up the ladder and we started to get kind of in that top three hey, we left and we went to the WAC. So we were like the fifth or sixth team out of like 10 teams or whatever in the WAC. And we finished fourth. We kind of overachieved, finished fourth in the tournament that year. And then we left and we didn't have a chance to kind of crawl. Well, we started at Conference USA 
And we were like the 10th or the 11th seed out of the 13 teams my first year. We crawled our way up and we've been the top seed. Now we've the last five or six years, we've hung out kind of in that top three. We just got to where we're, I mean, we're competitive every year to win that thing. And we're going to leave. We're taking the six best teams basically in the golf conference with us. We're all going. So we're not leaving any of the good ones behind. And we're going to add SMU and South Florida. South Florida's in the top 20 every year. SMU's always good. Uh, East Carolina, uh, some of these, uh, Memphis, Wichita State, some of these teams have been perennially very solid teams. And now I think we'll probably be more middle of the pack. We're not going to start at the bottom like we did in these other years because we finally gotten good enough. But, I mean, we're going to, you know, instead of being third, we're going to go back to being sixth or seventh, you know, out of those tw- – we'll have 12 teams. And, uh, well, guess what? We'll just start eating away and getting up again. And uh, But each time you get better teams now, you know, um, when we were in – uh, the Southland Conference, the best team might have been, you know, 20th one year. They might have been 30th in the country one year, 40th or something like that. Well, then we went to WAC and one of those teams uh, was 40th or whatever. And Conference USA, we've had teams as high as 18th or 15th and that kind of thing. Well, now, like I said, some of these teams are perennially, they're always in the top 20, if not sometimes in the top 10 or have won national championships and things like that, like in the case of SMU and some of those teams. And uh, so, I mean, you know, it, it's going to be a lo- pretty good hill to climb. But, man, we did it every place we've been. I mean, I'm just getting ready to get on the ladder and let's just start go up the up the deal. And uh, I think it's going to be huge exposure for us. Um, when we said we were going to start football, I was the first guy to say, man, this is going to be great. We're going to lose 70 to nothing every game in football. And you know what? everyone's going to see it on the bottom line and no one's even seen UTSA before. I don't care how much we lose by now. I was wrong. We were very competitive from the very get go. Right. I did not see that part coming. Have to admit, but we were on, on TV and it's not even if your game's televised, it's just somebody's, you know, I always use, I always say everybody's heard of Lehigh. Where the heck is Lehigh? The only reason you've heard of that is because every Saturday, Lehigh versus whoever they lost to is on the bottom line across the deal. So you've heard of that. And so now we're going to a conference that is an ESPN conference. And so our games are not only going to be televised, but they're not going to be just televised on streaming. And they're not just going to be televised on whatever, you know, uh, a CBS sports network plus plus whatever. I there agree. Is no alternate network thing. It's going to be on ESPN or ESPN yeah. or something like that that yep. everyone gets. Mm-hmm. And there'll be basketball games on and there'll be baseball games on. And that because I was flipping through the channels the other night and I was watching, you know, some American athletic baseball game or something that was on. I was well, like, well, see, look at well, this. One thing I was, I was upset about is that I'm over here looking for the conference golf tournament stuff, right? And I, I see Sunbelt, the Sunbelt mm-hmm. Conference Golf Tournament on ESPN plus or one of the ESPN threes. And I'm like, really? I'm like, how is that conference on TV and conference USA? One of the perennial, you know, outside of the big power five conferences, how, how are we not televising our conference tournament? That's why we're leaving. (laughs) And that's, and that's something that was really frustrating. Last thing, coach, uh, did you want to say any parting words or anything about this amazing team you had this past year? 
Um, well, I'll tell you what, you got this picture up. First off, I'll give a shout out to my new assistant, Joey Ashley. So my previous assistant was with me like seven years, Kyle Collins, and he was just fantastic. And when he decided that he needed to get out of the coaching business and, and do something different, I totally understood. I had no ill will at all, but I was a little taken back. I thought, man, we're going to be in trouble because he was really good. And we just absolutely hit the home run of all time with, with Coach Ashley. I mean, this guy is amazing. So I'm going to give a big shout out to him. Uh, and the guy standing right next to him is Michael Rome. And he was here five years and he went through a back issue. So he had a red shirt. He dealt with all the COVID things. Um, he caught COVID. Um, we, you know, all, all the stuff that you can think of. He had the highs and the lows. He won a tournament while he was here. That's a big deal. Um, he had some 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 down moments and stuff like that. And in the end, uh, he had a great senior year and he uh, became our we have a, an MVP award named after John Elizondo and uh, the John Elizondo MVP award. And, and unlike maybe some sports that give out a bajillion awards and, a, you know, everyone gets a trophy kind of thing and, uh, you know, miscongeniality and, and all the stuff we give out one award. And that one award encompasses everything. It's not just who has a low stroke average or whose rounds counted the most or who won the most tournaments. Or it is, you name a stat, I mean, we pour over everything. It's also what you're doing off the course, what you're doing in the classroom, things like that. And uh, so he won that this year, and that's a pretty big deal. And um, the rest of those guys, I mean, I, you know, I could sit here all night and go down and talk about each one of them and tell you all these great things. But I, I wanted to mention those two guys right there because they really stood out this year and really helped lead this team. And uh, and, I, and I mentioned off the course, these guys had a 3.66 last spring. And this fall, they had a 3.4 or something like that. And I would talk to my guys individually at the end of the year. And always the first thing I always ask them about is academics. And three or four different guys all said, you know, they got to do good on one final, but they, they still have a shot at a 4.0. And so I'm super proud of these guys and the effort they put in because we stress that a lot with them that um, – this isn't, you know, it's student athlete. It's not athlete student. And I know a lot of times it seems that way and it seems like it's becoming a business and, you know, the payers, ah, players are, you know, got a way to get paid and all this stuff. Now it's still just student athletes. You know, you're here representing your school and you're here to get a degree. And uh, all my guys have graduated and, uh, and gone out of here. And so we're real proud of that fact. Well, Coach, thank you so much for what you're doing for my university. I'm a super proud alumni of UTSA, and uh, I'm so proud to have you at the helm because not only – I always look at this as coaching. I've been teaching and coaching for 16 years. One thing I've always stated was that I'm not worried about the wins. If I try to make you into a better young man uh, and do the right things, the wins will come. And it seems like, man, Coach, you do a little bit of everything. You're that father figure. Uh, you you manage the schedule. You manage the numbers. And you coach more than just the program and more than just the kids. And thank you so much for what you're doing for my university, University of Texas at San Antonio. Thank you so much, Coach, for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having me, Andy. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Good night, Coach. Bye. I'd like to thank Coach K for being on the show. Uh, 
always has great stories and I learn something new every time. And being a coach and a teacher myself, he always pumps me up and makes me want to be a better coach and be better for my student athletes. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for watching, for tuning in. Please continue to support the podcast, www.nothingobgolf.com. It's right there on the ticker on the bottom. Make sure you check out UTSA Men's Golf Program, UTSA Men's Golf, on Facebook, on Instagram. In the game of life, nothing is obedient.